I don't know how many voices you've heard already this morning. For some of you, probably just a few, and for others, maybe quite a lot. Consider how many voices you will hear throughout the remainder of this day. Consider how many voices you hear on a typical day during the week. Is it in the dozens, the hundreds, the thousands? From television with hundreds of cable channels to the Internet and radio and all our other electronic devices, there are so many voices trying to gain influence and sway in our lives. And then there are friends, neighbors, co-workers, family members. And many of those voices are coming from different perspectives. There are so many competing voices in and around us. Which ones do we really listen to and which ones should we really listen to? This is the tension, the stress, the disorientation which accompanies the pace and press of contemporary life and culture. But from a life and culture where nothing seems to hold, we have to make decisions and the options seem endless. Just think of the choices when it comes to things like cell phones, computers, cable, and internet movie rentals, and songs you can download. And if you've ever gone into a superstore or the new Costco where the aisles go on for miles, the choices of products, brands, styles, and colors seems endless. Choosing, choosing, choosing. Choosing seems doggone confusing. How do we choose that which really holds midst the myriad of options, all of which claim to have the truth, all of which claim authority. Well, today, as with all Sundays, we turn again to the Scripture. In our New Testament lesson, which Cheryl read, we find a rather remarkable man. He is without a name, but we know that he was a man of authority, for he was a centurion, an officer in the Roman army who had responsibility for at least 100 foot soldiers. To be a centurion was to reach the highest rank to which an ordinary soldier might aspire. So here we are in Capernaum with all its Gentile influences. And this centurion is concerned about the welfare of one of his slaves who is near death. And hearing that Jesus is in town, the centurion asks some from the Jewish religious establishment, to go to Jesus and ask him to heal his slave. We discover early on that this is no ordinary centurion. He is a worthy Gentile, for the elders tell Jesus that he loves our nation and build us our synagogue. Not too shabby for someone who doesn't believe in the God of Israel. Jesus senses the uniqueness of the man, and he responds to the call by heading off to his house. But then the centurion sends another message to Jesus as he approaches, and he sends some of his friends this time. And he says, don't bother. I'm really not worthy to have you set foot in my house. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I know authority. I know it because I have to use it, and I know 
it when I see it in others. And you, sir, you have authority. And Jesus is blown away. And he tells the people who are following him, even in Israel, I have not found such faith. And the slave was found to be healthy again. Here's a story where a Gentile is lifted up as an exemplar of faith. It is not someone from within the tradition, a good Jew steeped in the faith. It is a Roman soldier with Lord knows what kind of background. You see, in Jesus' day, there were many different religions to choose from. And this centurion was faced with a smorgasbord of choices when it came to trying to find one of those religions to heal his servant. How could he know which religion to call upon that would really make a difference? Yet somehow he was able to discern a real authority in Jesus precisely in the midst of a multi-choice religious culture. And just what authority did Jesus have? He had authority from God, that is, God's power. But only as we recognize it in him, else that power is of no help to us. The centurion was able to recognize it, and it made a difference. But can we? Can we recognize it? Amidst all the choices vying for authority in our time, fortunately our text offers what we'll call this morning three clues of recognition. Compassion, humility, and faith. First, our text tells us in verses 2 and 3, Now a centurion had a slave who was dear to him, who was sick and at the point of death. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his slave. This man felt compassion and was moved to reach out on behalf of this slave who was dear to him. A woman, upon receiving a rather high phone bill, said in dismay, I guess I reached out and touched too many people this month. But when it comes to compassion, you can never reach out too much. Dorothy Brown called her daughter, and she said, Hello, honey. How are you? Terrible, Mom. My back is killing me. The children are acting up. The house is a mess, and I'm expecting six guests for dinner tonight. Oh, don't worry, honey. I'm coming right over. I'll feed the kids, clean up your place, and cook a dinner your guests will never forget. You're an angel, Mom. Hey, how's Dad? Dad? Sweetheart, you know Daddy died nine years ago. Pause. What number are you calling? Three seven eight nine three seven eight three nine nine one. This is three seven eight three nine nine two. Oh no, I dialed the wrong number, the mother said. Hold on, please, the daughter said. Does this mean you're not coming over? <laughs> compassion compassion is a willingness to be there with and for another person. The word compassion comes from the Latin come and passion. 
Come meaning with and passion with someone's passion, to be with someone in their pain and their struggle and their suffering. Once during World War II, when a soldier was injured and could not get back to safety, his buddy went out to get him against his officer's orders. He returned mortally wounded, and his friend whom he had carried back was dead. The officer was so angry, he said, I told you not to go. Now I've lost both of you. It just wasn't worth it. And the dying man replied, but it was, sir, because when I got to him, he said, Jim, I knew you'd come. For us, compassion is turning to see, to feel, to be with another in pain. And note that in the context of our scripture, it doesn't matter who the other person is. In the structure of the society the centurion lived in, a slave was not owed compassion. The message to us in our day that this first clue of recognition, compassion, compassion must cut across all levels of status in our society, from the greatest to the least. All lives matter. Black, blue, brown, and white. The first clue of recognition for us this morning is compassion, which truly cares for all others. So follow with me now to the next three verses of our text, wherein we find the Jews asking Jesus to come help the slave of the centurion because the centurion is worthy of Jesus' attention. And they tell him just how worthy he is, what with building their synagogue and all. And Jesus goes, our text tells us, with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. Here's the second clue of recognition, humility. To be truly humble is not easy. Trying to appear to be humble is not the same as being humble. I'm very humble and modest, too. Well, far from that, far from that, the centurion, though he was deemed worthy by the Jewish elders, in no way, shape, or form felt he was worthy of this master teacher named Jesus. The centurion knew where he stood in comparison to the greatness around him. The centurion knew where he stood in light of this Jesus he recognized. The one that is down needs fear no fall. The one that is low, no pride. The one that is humble ever shall, ever shall have God to be his God. So wrote that insightful author, John Bunyan. Our second clue of recognition, then, is humility. I am not worthy, acknowledged the centurion. Well, fortunately, for the sake of the slave and for our sake, he goes on to say, Even so, just say the word and let my servant be healed. For I am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my slave, Do this. And he does it. 
When Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the multitude that followed him, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And this brings us to the third clue of recognition, which, of course, is faith. Jesus is flat out astonished with this man's faith. And to think he's not even part of Jesus' faith tradition. Jesus is surprised, yes, but the important thing is the depth of the man's faith. He subjected himself to Jesus' authority. When Robert Browning was asked what sentiment expressed in his poetry best represented his deepest conviction, he answered, I am very sure of God. I am very sure of God. How sure of God are we today, really? If we trust that God will provide the guidance we need in our daily living, and if we are open to heeding that direction, then we have faith. In his book, Faith in the Future, Catholic theologian Joseph Ratzinger puts it well. At its core, faith is not a system of knowledge, but trust. All the specific details embraced by faith are but concretizations of the all-supporting movement of the I trust in you, of the discovery of God in the face of the man, Jesus of Nazareth, to which the writer of the book of Hebrews can add, and what is faith? Faith gives substance to our hopes and makes us certain of realities we do not see. Faith is the marvelous gift which allows us to see that which is beyond our own power, namely that God is there in the midst of struggle and confusion, and we can count on it. God will not let us go no matter what. And that kind of confidence and trust, my friends, is a faith that holds. A faith that holds. Our third clue of recognition then is faith. A strong faith in the power of God. Just say the word, said the centurion, and Jesus heard him and marveled at his faith. Interestingly, Jesus also marveled at the unbelief of Israel. For in verse 9, he also said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. So if Jesus were here today, what would he say about us? Would he marvel at our belief or our unbelief? It takes one to know one. Like the centurion, we have all known some degree of authority. But like the centurion, can we recognize an authority which is above all other competing authorities? Our text provides the clues. Compassion, humility, and faith. When we live, when we truly live compassion, come, come and heal this other. When we live humility, I am not worthy. And when we live faith, just say the word. Just say the word. We can recognize the choice which is above all others. 
the one sure point of permanence in our lives, even Jesus Christ. And that choice provides the gift of life no matter what. No matter what. And so I'd like to close with the words of the great poet Edwin Markham. When in the dim beginnings of the years, God mixed in us the rapture and the tears and scattered through our brain the starry stuff, God said, Behold, yet this is not enough. For, for I must test their spirit to make sure that they can dare the vision and endure. I will withdraw my face, veil, my, veil me in shadow for a certain space, leaving behind me only a broken clue, a crevice where the glory glimmers through, some whisper from the sky, some footprints on the road to track me by. 